my name is Allison McNeil, and you are listening to Artistry. Welcome to another episode of Artistry, where art meets industry. We are your hosts, Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. And welcome back to another episode of Artistry. Today's guest is an arts and culture advocate, strategist, and philanthropist. She's also founder and CCO of McNeil Creative Enterprises. Please welcome Allison McNeil. Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Thank <laughs> you. We're so happy to have you here. Oh, my goodness. So can I say what I was going to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ahead. So I, I want to say this <laughs> before we start. Right. So uh, so Allison's awesome. Right. And and what uh, and I say that um, because, you know, I've had plenty of conversations with, um, you know, Rochelle about about the work you're doing. Um, but then also um, it's like you, you have a certain rep, uh, reputation. And so I told Shell before we started this interview, I was, you're basically a you're almost like a sign of whether the event is quality or not. Right. So, cause I've seen, cause think about how many times we bumped into each other, whether Shell was there or not. Like mm-hmm. I bumped into you at different events and I can sometimes be like, okay, so, so I think we're good. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll look around the room, won't know nobody, but if I see you there, I'm like, okay, we're good. We're good. You know? So, so, so thank you for gracing us with your presence. And I just wanted to make sure I, I sent that. Uh, He's absolutely, He's absolutely right, though. I receive it. I receive it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I do enjoy the things I do go to, and I don't go out often. Mm. So if you see me out, it's probably because I really want to be there. Awesome. Awesome. So y'all heard it here. You know what I mean? So you get figure out what her face looked like on her website, and then you just, <laughs> just scan the room. And if you don't see her, just leave. You know? <laughs> if you don't see her in the DMV at an event, that's just leave. <laughs> I know. That's right. So, Allison, well, you know, it's funny. Um, I have friends that have told me that, you know, they're not connected really to the arts mm-hmm. in completely different sectors. And they say that they'll follow my news feed or social media feed, mm-hmm. my personal one yeah. to be like, okay, where do I need to go? And I'm like, really? You do? Right. You, you just never know who is paying attention. Yeah, yeah for so. sure. Yep. Well, we're paying attention. That's yep. why you're here. Aww. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let's, Aww, let's, you, you know, let's um, work our way back to, um, what it, what was your first introduction into the arts? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, because my first introduction is so different than what I'm doing now. I was in a performing arts company as a child. So I started out as a performing artist. Mm-hmm. My parents put me into the arts because they were like, you are too shy and you got to break out of your shell. And so actually right on Howard University's campus, I grew up in Maryland. um, And so they put me on this, uh, in this program and they thought, oh, this will be a good way to help her connect with young people and maybe she'll do a little art. But, but I was singing and dancing. I had an agent through this same company. I got the chance to perform and travel all around the world, did a few commercials, like, that was the that was the path that I was on for longer um, than a little bit as a young person. So probably I think I entered into it when I was six. Wow. Um, and yeah, there were plenty of people that have, that passed through that company mm-hmm. that ended up working in the industry in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. And so 
yeah, that's where I started. Can you tell it us the name? It was called the Kelsey E. Colley Playmakers Repertory Company. Perfect. I got to give honor to Kelsey. Yes. Because without him and Melvin and all the other teachers, I would have never really been in this field. And I, at the time, I didn't even think that this was something I would be doing for my life. Wow. It was just something that my parents took me to that I stayed with. I don't think the arts, you choose the arts. I think it chooses you. Mm-hmm. So. So, wow. yeah. Wow. So in um, despite being from the area, you went to the other HU. <laughs> yeah. What we're not going to do. No, yeah, I, I did go to Hampton <laughs> University <laughs> for undergrad. Yes, our home by the sea. I am a lover of Hampton. Yes. And I'm so glad that I went there. I learned so much um, about the complexities of Black people. Um the richness of our culture. It's not that I didn't know that growing up at home, but just on that campus, it was like a melting pot of all different types of experiences. So forever grateful to my professors there and all the things that I learned and the people that I met. Yeah, and you studied, um, you obtained a bachelor's in um, sociology um, and then your master's, uh, you came back home to the area at American University for uh, educational leadership. Yep. Yep. You know, what's funny is, um, so like I said, my parents put me in these arts programs and I almost lived like a dual life my whole, up until probably 25. So I would be, um, in these dance companies, performing in plays, singing, all of that, um, on the weekends and the evenings. But then in the daytime, I would work in different, in the education space. So at Hampton, um, when most people connect with me, they think of the, all the arts program I was in, arts programming I was in. But um, yeah, it's it's funny how things evolve because I ended up in the education um, organization right out of college. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Did you, were you a teacher? Did you end up teaching? No, you know, my very first job out of Hampton, and this is so crazy, but it's really not given what I do in some cases now. I worked in the statistical analysis division of educational testing services. The people that do the SAT and all that stuff. Because in my mind, you know, as a sociology major on Hampton's campus, we were inspired and empowered to change the world. Like we're 18, 19, we're like, what is our, how are we showing up for our community? And in my mind then, I was mostly focused on educational equity and Mm -hmm. the opportunities that create the disconnect and testing as a form of a barrier for black people to thrive and, you know, go to get different sort of education. So I've worked at ETS then with the idea like, okay, how can I learn how these tests work? How can I tell them that the tests are wrong? I mean, I'm like an assistant in the statistical analysis division, Mm -hmm. but literally learning how they, form the test and forming the psychometricians on how to use the data to make the decision on which questions go to which groups of people. It was uh, a lot, yeah. <laughs> but um, very informative. Um, and so much so that I realized this is not what I want to do, uh-huh. but um, insightful enough to let me know, you know, what numbers look like, how to form questions, how to structure questions, who should get which question, all of that. Wow. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to know what that transition 
um, felt like in terms of going from uh, being, I mean, you were a professional sounds like from like a very young age. So, so working in that world and then transitioning into something that seemed very, you know, very analytical, very much, you know, just looking at data all day. Um, And I know that's torturous for a lot of creatives. So what was that transition like? Well, what was interesting, um, being a performing artist from youth up through um, college, when I got to college in the sociology department, one of my professors, Dr. McGee, was like, you ask some really great questions and you challenge us to unpack what's at the root of these things, you should come work in my research lab. And I was like, I don't want to do research. I mean, like everything I did was creative. And she was like, yeah, but I think you have a lens that could offer some insight to her work. And that she she was looking at juvenile delinquency at the time. Um, And so it was there that I started to think about what role does research assessment evaluation Mm -hmm. play in creating policy, in shifting systems, in creating advocacy opportunities. Um, And I still wasn't quite sure how that would align with all that I was doing as a performing artist. So I kind of lived in those very different worlds. So like even when I was in New Jersey working in that department, I was in um, dance classes and teaching dance in New Jersey at night. I was like, it was like weird. But one day I was talking to, when I moved back to DC, I was talking to someone like, you know, I love education, it's always at my heart, but how do I marry this arts part of my life with the skill sets that I've been using in the education spaces? And she started talking to me about arts administration. Mm -hmm. At that time, I'd never heard about arts administration. All I knew was what it took to create the art, to perform the art, Maybe I knew about the technical, the technical part of the stage, but development, presenting, I never even considered it. I never even, I'm like, I don't know. I didn't, I couldn't have fathomed that there was a whole world connected to the business side of um, the arts. So my connection with Angela Hahn, who I ended up working with in a couple of different ways, she was like, you need to come and do some research in the arts. And I was like, Mm. Are they doing research in the arts? Right. Again, because my perspective was learn the choreography, do it on stage. Right. I also did voiceovers. Um, so I, I was like, okay, I guess I'll do that. And I also wanted to figure out how to transition. So I started volunteering with dance companies because that's what I knew the most. Mm-hmm. And, and I learned almost immediately that assessment, research, and evaluation as a profession um, was not front of conversation at the time, even though it was used in some ways for grant making, but it was in the organizations that I was working with, they were like, oh, what's that? So it's like, hmm. Hmm. Wow, because that, I mean, it it is very important because it it informs um, policy and seeing how the marriage between how you started out and how you were able to develop that and um, cater to the arts, mm-hmm. I think is is a, a phenomenal story. Um, I think the other part of it was that made it more specific because you know in my household we were raised to not just be existing for existing sake, 
my dad and mom always were like, how are what we doing for the betterment of our people? Like that was, we would literally sit around the table and talk about what you going to do, Kristen, what you going to do out. And I'm like, I'm just 12. But it was like, <laughs> you need to keep this at the forefront of our mind. And so that is how I got an education. Cause I was like, there are disparities that I can't quite. And so that lens always stuck with me as I went through each space, mm-hmm. even like performing, like who was getting which roles, but um, on the advocacy side, it was when I worked at Arts Presenters, which is, um, what is their name now? The Association of Performing Arts Professionals. Mm. They are a membership organization in the performing arts industry that basically brings all people together to do the business side of the arts. It was there when I was doing grant making for them and designing programs and I was like, oh, that's when I learned a lot right. and learned even more about who was at the table and who was. Right. So. You know, you bring up a break. I was going to talk about this later, but I think um, this is a great segue. So many people, so many organizations have been talking about, you know, diversity and inclusion and, and, um, and bringing folks together. And we're seeing it now um, currently with the protests that are going on and you're seeing organizations, you know, putting out statements saying that we are taking a vow to end discrimination or be more inclusive. In your in your personal opinion, mm. what is diversity and inclusion? What is it and what is it not? What does that look like? What should it look like? What is diversity and inclusion? What should it look like? I mean, if we're being like just really practical, diversity is like who's in the room? Like do you have a variety of people that represent different perspectives um, on any particular topic? Um, so that I would say that is the who is it? Who's in the room? Does it represent a number of different perspectives? When you think about inclusion, for me at least, it is what sort of power and or influence do those diverse people have in the room? Are they able to influence change? Are they... Um, there just for diversity purposes to say, oh, I have a black person on the team, but they don't have anything that they can actually offer right. uh, or that you actually listen to um, when thinking about how to create spaces that reflect the needs of everyone. Right. Um, in this climate, um, a lot of my work is advocacy and change. Um, and I use the, the you know, strategy skills and assessment skills and my knowledge of the philanthropic sector to support that. But you see all these statements and then it's like, but what are you doing? How does it show up in your organization? Um, Who's not um, in the room to make these decisions? And when they are there, it's like, okay, so you just completely discredited everything that they said. How are you creating safe spaces for all voices to be heard and be in dialogue with each other? Uh, So, And what I was seeing then, um, this was probably 10 years ago, maybe 15 years, oh, year is this? Maybe 10 years ago, is that folks were there. Maybe they figured out some diversity, not completely. Mm -hmm. They were there, but they were silenced. So... um, it was while I was at Arts Presenters that we organized and um, founded Women of Color in the Arts, which mm-hmm. is a service organization meant to create equity for women of color administrators, right. connecting people, creating spaces for collaboration, increasing equity. Um, 
because I was like, this is crazy. Like both of us, I was working on staff. Kaisha was in one of the leadership programs and we, you know, you know how we do, we get on the side, we're like, do you see me for, you know, we just have side conversations. We're like, we need to do something about it. Right. So a little bit about Allison. So in addition to being fabulous, she is nationally recognized award-winning strategic thinker and creative entrepreneur with nearly 20 years of experience in performing arts and education. Do you still dance? Do you still enjoy dancing? (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, the fact that I responded in that way, just to the question, I think uh, the answer is Yes, but not as often as I'd like to, especially in this pandemic. I've been connecting to people's classes online, but there's something special about being in the same energy with people in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, I found myself at social distancing drum circles because I play the djembe, Mm -hmm. um, and that helps with restoration. Yeah. Uh, For me, dance is is a spiritual act. It's not, I'm not trying to be on anybody's stage. It's just a way that I nurture my spirit. So. That's great. You know, I, I, I keep bringing it back to currently um, with what's happening where you have a lot of creatives who are full time, who now are basically struggling, um, not only financially, but trying to recreate or pivot what they have been doing in this new climate. Do you have any um, recommendations or suggestions? How are we going to look post-pandemic? That is such a good question um, because I don't think it would look anything like what we thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Like even two months ago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it literally is changing by the day. Um, I'm hopeful um, that the opportunities and the ways that decisions are made are adjusted. I know because of this, uh, because of the COVID um, pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic, many grant makers were reimagining what it looked like to just get the money out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, we know in that process, black and brown artists mm-hmm. and art organizations were still not the ones that were being serviced the most. Um, but the conversations around what it meant to get money to them shifted, meaning maybe all of the red tape that comes in the application process weren't as um, burdensome. Um, What does it look like for the artists specifically outside of, I mean, I think it's going to be a space to reimagine what it looks like to connect with your people, like to connect with your audiences um, immediately, like digitally, Mm -hmm. because the the live performance experience has shifted. Um, and the trauma, that's what I want to be more intentional about facing, like the trauma of everything changing overnight. Um, and us expected to just go on as if nothing happened, I think is a misstep. Um, particularly when we're talking about creativity, creativity can't come out of, well, sometimes it comes out of disruption and, um, but it's this moment. It remains to be seen, but I know it won't look like how it is now. What it looks like now, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, most things evolve, and I think um, this has definitely opened a lot of people's eyes um, in terms of, 
you know, whatever holes you may have had in your plan or your business, um, you know, you just kind of adjusting now and trying to reconfigure things to figure out what's the best plan moving forward. Uh, I know we had a conversation uh, maybe like a uh, with, uh, I think it was with Karen, where we were talking about the very same thing, um, you know, in terms of like what it's going to look like for, for folks who basically the folks who were blessed enough to figure out how to navigate um, this um, situation, because now um, as things start to open back up and they currently are, um, you know, now you're realizing that you can access like so many folks by staying where you are and mm-hmm. it's much more cost effective. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like, so mm-hmm. now does your, Absolutely. right. Does your price and go I, up or uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's like, does the price go up now if you got to go because you can do so much from, from where you are now. And so, you know, it's just a lot to, uh, it's a lot to consider, you know? And I, I just hope that as we make these considerations and as we shift to, um, you know, incorporating the digital experience mm. um, that we don't lose the live experience because there's right. something really powerful that happens when we're all in the same room. Oh, yeah, right. absolutely. So it's an exchange that happens. It's not, as far as I think, it's not me performing for you. This is an exchange. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm not sure about you all, but for me, something about that energy increases me like it feeds me so as an artist so i'm just like you know the financial part of it like with presenters trying to figure out does that mean we have to sell less of our house now to get you know get people to feel comfortable we'll do one seat apart from each other those are conversations that i hear people talking about Mm -hmm. which means they have to pay the artists less because they're not selling as many tickets Tickets. the economics of all of this yeah i think we're going to be in this for at least the, the remnants of it for at least two to three years. Oh, yeah. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the programming season, I was on the phone last week with some orchestras. The rest of their programming season is going digital and they may not even expect to do anything else until fall 2021. Wow. Yeah. Um, and when you think about how presenters schedule, you know, make up their schedule, mm-hmm. what, are, what what does it look like? APAP, where, which is where I used to work, in January, they have a big showcase so that presenters can see the arts and can figure out what they need to bring back to their performing arts um, centers. So yeah. what will that look like? It's a time of innovation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even in, I'm kind of, I'm partly excited and partly like trepidatious. Cause I'm like, this is the moment that we can literally change the world. Like here I am as my sociology 18 year old self still thinking we can, you know, we, this is it. Like. Right we get the opportunity to reimagine what's worked and uh, move forward with and leave what didn't work and move forward with what has worked mm-hmm. and yeah. plan a whole new. Right? Yeah. I think a Wait, lot about, yeah, yeah I, think, I think a lot about this. I think about, you know, how many performers like myself have like traveled God knows how many miles drove, how many hours just to show up in for a room of three people. Right. Mm -hmm. Like um, where you were getting a door split. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And now uh, mm -hmm. and now if you're an artist um, and I may have mentioned this before, but now understanding that if you were someone whose audience was spaced out and it didn't maybe make sense to try to hit certain um, uh, regions, it's like now being able to group them all in one setting. And, and, you know, nothing beats the live performance um, and nothing I think will ever really 
replace that because I mean it's all vibrations, right? From the yeah. music, uh, from dance um, to when we feel the music coming out of speakers, all of these things are vibrations, and um, and it feeds our soul, right? Um, but yeah, I think um, I think creatives are really going to be taking a hard look um, at like money, you know, weighing money you've lost um, based on what was already planned versus new plans that you've made that cost way less to pull off. Yes. And you saw a higher yes. return. And so now it has you looking at things through through a different lens, you know. It's it's I mean, like I said, I'm a little excited even because of how I've connected right. to so many different experiences during this time, like mm -hmm. feeling like I'm in the room with yeah. people, even as I'm sitting here, I'm like, this is kind of cool. And also like, what's going on. But then also just being able to take dance classes. I took one mm -hmm. with a class in new Orleans last week. And I was That's like, awesome. oh, it's just, it's different. And for those people that maybe they aren't able to get out to see some of the people that come to DC, maybe for scheduling purposes, if for some reason now they can connect with them online, like right. what, what does that mean? But what I'm most concerned about, well, I shouldn't say most, but one of the things that I, that sits in the back of my head um, is how artists, um, you know, what the funding landscape looks like right. as people shift. Yeah, um, sure. And what those decisions look like, how do they implicate um, artists and art and creatives? Like, how do the quote unquote, we already know the rubrics and the decision making tools weren't already equitable. Mm -hmm. right. But now what is not everybody has access to digital equipment that'll make it easy right. for their audiences to connect. Right. So now that becomes if you don't have that will someone not fund you, even if whatever you're doing, you know, so there's always the things to just kind of to kind of keep mindful of because it they will always find a way to create a barrier and oh, yeah, i'm just like how can we be prepared for whatever it takes to just do our work not for the sake of pleasing anyone else but what is aligned with our vision right yeah it's funny that you said that because i was just about to um to bring that in as a question you know you are um, previously co-founder of the Maynard Biggers Artist Fund, as well as you mentioned the um, women of color um, in the arts. Like as an arts administrator, as um, you know, folks are preparing for their operating support grants and their project support grants. And now what does that look like? Because, you know, if you are applying for a project support grant, and again, we're usually are planning out, presenters are planning out a year in advance Mm -hmm. And when you do not know what it's going to look like a year, will we be doing things outside? Can we do things outside? You know, so do you, I was thinking we were having a conversation the other day um, about the NEA, you know, the mother, right. the mothership and mm -hmm. how th how that affects them. You know, I mean, every year they're on the chopping block, you know, with the budget cuts and mm -hmm. every year, you know, we have to fight as advocates for their existence because they are important, but now they're more important, more so now than ever before, yeah. because now your um, local arts agencies, they themselves are, are at risk because if they cannot support their artists, if they can't support themselves and they cannot su support their artists, it's, it's a huge concern. It's a huge concern. You know, yeah, it really is. And you know, these concerns, like you said, aren't new. It happens every year. Every year we're advocating 
for this sector. Every year we're trying to create, we're trying to help people understand the value. Right. And I get so frustrated because it's where we always go mm-hmm. naturally. Right. In a downtime, in a high time, like it's where we go. But yeah, it's the first thing. You know, all of us were brought up in schools when art was in school. Like that right. was a part of our experience. Right. Uh, it wasn't something that you had to be able to pay for to experience afterwards. Um, I'm aware that many grant makers in these in these moments are shifting project support to operating support, mm-hmm. yep. um, especially if you've already been granted it. Right. I'm also aware that some won't unless you ask. Um, so. Do you know that it's okay to ask? Like, but if you don't ask, you won't, they won't tell. So it's like, yeah, part of, part of this, I feel like cycle of confusion Mm -hmm. (laughs) can just be knowing the tools. Like, how do you know what you don't know? You go, you know, it's, um, and with the NEA funneling its money through states, we, it's, yeah, (laughs) it's hard, especially when places like Philly, are advocating just to get rid of cultural funding in the in the city like they don't they don't they want to disinvest and i heard that and i i philadelphia in particular i I was shocked because right everywhere you turn everywhere you look it's it's visual arts you have you know uh performing artists everywhere they have the facilities like of all cities It's always strange to me when I see them like pulling money from these cultural things um, like uh, the arts, um, education, all of these things directly, you know, and and usually what happens is they pull money from those particular things. And um, of course, no one's going to argue with infrastructure, right? Like investing in infrastructure. That's extremely important to any city. Um, But oftentimes when we uh, when you think of cities that um, have issues with crime, um, their thinking is usually pull money from these things and put money over here. But by pulling money from those things, they're yeah. actually helping create a higher crime rate. Mm-hmm. Because nine mm-hmm. times out of 10, if you if you have a poor education system, chances are uh, yeah. crime is high in your city, you know. And so um, it's it's one of those things that like I think earlier when I was younger, I, I definitely felt that it was um you know, it's like maybe they just don't see the correlation. Right. And then as you start to get older, you realize that, no, they see the correlation. But, you know, but they're also getting money from prison. So it works yeah. out. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. all tied up together. Yeah, and, you sure. know, what I what I often try to talk to people that I work with or um, people that, you know, my colleagues in other fields is like art is everywhere it doesn't mm-hmm. need to nor is it actually just sitting over on some other the, the creative process the artistic process is one that we could benefit from mm-hmm. and one that actually can help guide the future of what how we see the world right. artists are always the ones yeah. that are you know at you know at the forethought of what happens next mm-hmm. seeing mm-hmm. into the future and that's why i always get excited when i see two sectors working together, like health and arts and creativity or um, education and arts and, you know, because we know 
And I know for sure that arts program that I was in as a young child, Kelsey's program, Playmakers, he wasn't necessarily trying to produce the next great artist. Now, if you connect it to what happened in those classes, of course. And if I, if I were to say maybe there were 50, 25 of us are still working in, in some sort of creative spec, space now. But his goal was to use art as a vehicle for change, for healing, for access, entertainment. And I think that when we start to recognize that the art functions for more than just entertainment and thinking that it does need to go over here, then we do ourselves a disservice. Right. Um, yeah. So. I just hope that um, in this time that um, we were all quarantined, well, most of us were quarantined, that... Um, that data was being collected, you know, because of the fact that you saw so many people that are home, like you said, taking classes from the from, you know, from their cell phone to, you know, we were seeing verses, um, you know, arts yeah. collaboration, you know, mm-hmm. artists collaborating and and recognizing one another. Like, you know, if it wasn't for these avenues, folks would be batshit. Like, seriously, yeah. like, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And so I think. You know, hopefully, you know, this time next year or next spring when, you know, they're looking at budgets and hopefully we have a new president, <laughs> we, we can actually revisit that and and be able to, like you said, strategize and actually um, assess that data. Like, look, we've we've said it. Art advocates have been saying it forever that the arts are important. Now we have the data. We we, we all saw it. Mm. <laughs> you know, you saw from your Instagram yeah. posts, your Facebook, your Twitter book sales have gone up. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I just, and I think it's also, um, I think it's twofold. It is having access to the data that tells a story mm-hmm. and recognizing that the the access to that data won't always look like what you think it should look like. Right. Like, mm-hmm. it may not be that you can administer a survey to everybody that was in quarantine to see, but maybe you just need to uh, look at, what's happening on social media, how how people are tech, like reimagine what it looks like to gather impact. Like, uh, and I think that there's so much data that exists in the arts, um, talking about arts participation and the economic impact and still we continue to advocate. So it makes me wonder in some cases, do they even care, right? Like it's like you can present the data you can even twist the data in ways that tell the story that you needed to tell. But if, if the desire is what it is, right. then, and I don't mean to be negative. Mm-hmm. I just have been in enough conversations trying to advocate with data um, to just start to get curious about what people are actually trying to accomplish. Right. Um, Right, because mm-hmm. you have a diverse experience. You've um, helped plan and shape the vision of um, several organizations from the U.S. Department of Education, Association of Performing Arts Professionals, Step Africa, uh, Massachusetts Cultural Council, uh, Kennedy Center, Booz Allen Hamilton. I mean, the list goes on and on. And it's very diverse. It's not just um, um, identify designated arts organizations. It's across the whole um, gamut. So. Yeah, no, kudos because, to you. Because what I know is the arts and creativity shows up in all of those spaces and the extent to which we recognize its value, we benefit. Um, and so I often, t- like, 
that's why I usually describe myself as an advocate or a strategist because I use the insights and or leverage the insights that I have to, you know, come into these spaces that I end up in to interrogate our assumptions about what is real and what is made up and how we can create space to reimagine a new tomorrow. That sounded like, I don't know, kumbaya, but I, I heard that as I said it, but it's true. It's like, how did you come to that conclusion? What, what evidence do you have? What, what, how willing are you to reimagine something different? And what are you willing to let go of um, to recognize that expanding your, your way of thinking could present so much more opportunity for many more people? So. And you, you've done that. You've exhibited that by not only by the organization that you serve, but you've went off on your own and, and founded McNeil Creative Enterprises. <laughs> Didn't do that. It's true. <laughs> so, so tell us about that. How did how did you give birth to that idea and, and now successful business? Well, you know, I it's so funny. Almost everything except MCE was created because I saw a need or um, something that was missing. Like so Woka was like, we're in these spaces and we don't see women of color. So we create women of color or Maynard Biggers Artist Fund, um, which is the philanthropic project that you mentioned earlier, was we are clearly seeing the disparities in funding. We don't want to create a whole lot of hurdles. Let's just get people that are interested in the arts to invest and then create, op- create financial investments for artists that we believe are aligned with the mission. Um, MCE, though, I was just like... Someone, someone reached out to me like, hey, we have a project um, that we think you'd be great for. Are you interested? And I was like, I'm pretty sure I'll work on it. And then another person asked me and then another person asked me. And I was like, maybe I should create a company. Like, <laughs> like That's literally how it happened. Yeah. MCE is the only company that I hadn't really been like, I need to do this. It was... Um, and I'll knock on wood for that because I know that that is a blessing that I, you know, don't take for granted. But it was one of those ideas that emerged because I was sitting intentionally like, why are people, what are people calling me to do? Um, in what ways are, do they think I <laughs> can support their vision? And then I actually thought, okay, well, what do I actually want to do? Is this, is it aligned? Um, are there new ways? And so MCE has evolved from when it started to where we are now um, for that reason. So mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. yeah. It seems like, um, you know, similar to other folks we've um, spoken with, um, there are certain things, um, you know, certain journeys that we take sometimes that are, um, kind of guided by by someone we respect, um, you know, so I'm thinking of like your, your college um, transition, um, mm-hmm. like someone trying to bring you in, um, seeing something in you and say, hey, come with me. Um, and then like the other side of it is um, your your um, your company's beginning, um, MCE's beginning sounds very similar to what was happening with us, where we weren't thinking about, um, you know, who sits around and says, you know what, I'm going to start a consultant, uh, consultant, <laughs> you know, a consulting agency. I don't think that's what most kids or college <laughs> folks 
people are in their 20s. That's not <laughs> that's usually because you don't necessarily even know what it is. Right. right. Um, I think it's something that we do like you're just kind of doing. And then one day you wake up and be like, huh, this is a thing or someone kind of puts the bug in your ear like, you know, you're kind of doing this. I don't yep. know if you realize that. And um, yeah, yep. so it's interesting, like, you know, I'm just hearing that from you and stuff. That's definitely something we can relate to. Yeah. You know? And and look how it's blossomed. Like once you leaned into the invitation to do what you were already doing in a yeah. formal way, like then people come and gravitate to it because they already yeah. know yeah. what mm-hmm. you're doing and they already trust how you do it. And so yeah. it just, it just, what do they say? And this is not, I'm not saying that, but like the gremlins, like, we don't die, we multiply, not, just like oh, gets that's, bigger that's, and uh, bigger. That's Baby Kids, Baby Kids. <laughs> oh, that was, yeah. be, that was Baby Kids, yeah, okay, you know, try, okay. Try to help well, you, but there was something with the gremlins though, card, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> but they would just keep, oh, maybe yeah, I'm making no, you that couldn't up. give them, uh, uh, you couldn't feed them after a certain time. Right. Right. But they yeah. didn't multiply, okay. Yeah, like water, right. But you know what I mean? Water and feeding, I got you, right. I'm sorry, I'm a nerd, so you can't No, no, I know, thank you for calling me out on that one, because, but what I'm- It's all good. Coming to me is like, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, what was coming to me is like, there's something powerful about just being open, um, mm-hmm. recognizing that you may not know what way the wind will um, blow and leading into the discomfort of, okay, so I'm being called to do this. So what does it look like for me to imagine how I would do it in a formal way? And yeah. I love how you all are like, I'm, you know, the, I've seen, I'm on the listserv. I'm a happy follower. I'll be looking. But the colors, the branding, and not just the colors and the branding, but what you're doing, how mm-hmm. you're doing it. Congratulations on, was it three years? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I was like, yep. see that this is the power of owning our own um, yeah. experience um, yeah. and working with the people that are in alignment with, you know, how we think about our work at MTE, even though I wasn't planning on doing this as a company, what I knew for sure is that the people that I worked with had to come to the table ready to be transparent about where they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and curious about how they're going to get to where we go um, so that we could like make it happen. Because just because I have a company, I'm not always willing to work with everyone just because right. mm-hmm. not everybody is just aligned with the way that I um, do business. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, but even knowing that once I leaned into this idea that I'll have a company, I was like, okay. And that may mean maybe I just, I don't have a check all the time, but Right. The people that I do work with, it's because I believe in what they're doing and also believe that I can actually have some sort of impact in the work that they're trying to do. Right. And that no, is important. fulfilling in a way that I didn't think um, I would even say years ago before I started this. So. Right. And it's important work. Um, one of the things I was thinking is like, so an organization, they approach you, um, they've heard of your your services. Walk us through what does that look like? I mean, we when we talk about uh, st- uh, strategic planning, development, um, partnerships, assessments, like um, give us a general idea of the services that you provide for, to yeah. an organization um, coming out, coming to you. So um, I do some training on how to use data to tell your story, document your impact. 
um, and reflect on your past. Um, so helping organizations think about how do I set performance measures that reflect and are aligned with our mission um, and then use those measures to, you know, write proposals for grants or shift our operations. So that's one um, sort of workshop training that I do um, that is a direct service related to advocacy, grant writing, um, um, I guess, assessment. Um, I'll do program evaluations for organizations or grant makers that are looking to see, you know, here's what we thought we were doing when we launched this program. What's actually happening? How is it landing with the people that we prioritize for our efforts? And are there opportunities to shift? Um, so that's program evaluation. Um, and then sometimes I'm sitting with people strategizing like they want to go to C they're at a what sort of steps do they need to take um, to get that some sometimes it's pairing like you know resource connecting pairing people with um, I know I did that in the dance space with agents um, I need someone to represent my dance you know my 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 work um, want to raise my visibility how do I do that so yeah it's organizational development work for sure. Um, but in, the, in this moment, uh, and you know, I'm doing executive searches too now. Um, so helping organizations think about who their new leadership should look like mm. and what they need to prioritize when thinking about where they are, what they are, um, what the leaders are coming into and how the right leader can take them to where they you know, want to go. One of the things I was going to ask is um, MCE is celebrating how many years now? Five years. Mm -hmm. Five years. How do you see MCE growing and developing for your next five? You know what? That's a great question. I'm in the process of designing what will be called the creative well. Um, and that will be a resource portal um, mm -hmm. to create space for organizations to look at what it what it means to um, reflect on the impact that they're making, how to begin to reimagine what it looks like to um, collect information from people. Maybe it is not always a survey. Maybe it's not always a focus group because those aren't always the ways that you can connect with people. But how do you still tell your story? Um, so some of these same workshops that I end up doing um, for different organizations will be a resource um, through the creative well. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So, you know, we know uh, when we ask people, uh, you know, what they have coming up, considering the, the time that we're in, <laughs> mm -hmm. I know it's kind of up in the air for a lot of folks, but um, do you have any, um, any events, any um, online things that's uh, going on that your, that your company's putting together? Uh, not right now. Um, I'd say right, uh, not in the immediate f future. We're going right. to start um, sharing more about the creative well probably early this fall. Okay. Knock on wood, you know, who knows? Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so no events that I can. Well, let me think. I know I'm supposed to be sitting on some panels mm -hmm. uh, later on this fall, but. Nothing immediately. Usually okay. if I'm doing anything, I try and post it 
on my website. But um, no, I have a lot of project related deadlines. So I'm like, let me get yeah. through that hump. And then yeah. how do you guys do that? I'm just curious. I know that you guys are talking to me, but I'm like, when you're developing new products, but then also mm -hmm. working with people, how do you balance the two? <laughs> how do you create and serve, if you will? Yeah, I think. Well, you want to start? No, I was gonna say. I, I mean, it is. It, <laughs> Go ahead. I know it's it's for us. What we've done. I mean, the the benefit is that there is two of us. Yeah. So um, tag team. We'll definitely tag team. Like both of us being illustrators. Like I will do a lot of. Um, the start of it and then Stan will be like the finisher, the closer. Mm -hmm. um, if we have a client where it is a creative project, like we're doing a, developing a website or something or an album cover, I'll handle like the project management side of it, you know, mm -hmm. making sure it's on deadline and following up and then Stan will do again. Stan is a very a cleaner. He's a cleanup guy. He's yeah. he's Captain Clutch. He Yeah, it. that's been my nickname since college. <laughs> like literally uh, like Captain Clutch because if you give me something like months in advance mm -hmm. and um, because I'm a, you know, I'd like to think of myself as a critical thinker, right? Where you can give me the information and I can potentially spend anywhere from like a week processing that information. Or if it's like months out, I might process it for months, right? Just thinking about it, writing little notes to myself, maybe putting little things, dropping stuff in a folder, um, but the actual work for me won't start until it's like really close to the deadline. Well, one of like, the things that we do yeah. is we'll split our day, like you know, because we because um, you know, with the kids and the sure. multiple schedules, what we'll do is we'll do like maybe we'll focus on one thing in the morning, mm -hmm. and then we're late people. We stay up three, four o'clock in the morning, and then we'll work on something else in the in the in the evening. Yeah, mm -hmm. or, you know, so mm -hmm. splitting our time like that, like staying organized working on work plans or schedules or whatever and that's how we'll do balance it. like creative if we know our creative juices are better in the morning then do that in the morning and right. then do the data or whatever in the evening yeah. and, or vice versa and for like the personal stuff um <laughs> you know like if i gotta if i have to work on my music um more than likely i'm gonna wait until almost everyone's sleep or i'm gonna wake up before everyone um is up and then there are moments where like I'm under a really tight deadline even though I'm making you know it's something that I'm creating but it might be for a client or um, someone who um, I uh, collaborate uh, with and if it's a tight deadline um, and I have to do it while the baby's up <laughs> you know then you know we just kind of I mean and it's like that for both of us where we just kind of alternate with the kids um, and then Usually around after dinner, like dinner time through their bedtime is usually the family. We're all in the space. But During prior to that, it's it's a free for all. Everybody, yeah, everybody's just, on the device. It's even the baby. It's so yeah, <laughs> it's, you know, because you got Serenity homeschooling. Yeah. And, you know, and then uh, the youngest, uh, you know, some of the programs like we, we found the shop to Miss Monica, you know, <laughs> doing the preschool circle up, <laughs> you know, via YouTube. Um, but yeah, so they, they're getting that and, um, you know, the baby does her songs and does her time with her toys and stuff. But like, you know, we're just, we're yeah, just trying to make just, it work. Yeah. Work. Like everyone That's how we do, right? We just it yeah. we get it done. Yeah. Which is actually a great segue because the question that I was going to say is as a black owned business, mm -hmm. right? As a woman owned business, how do you create space and make time 
and I mean, especially with the stresses of the of every day on an average day. But then throwing up pandemic, pro, you know, mm. riots and protests and people being killed in the streets. Like, right. how do you save space for your mental health? Oh, man, that is a great question. Um, maybe. So when the pandemic hit us, because we know it's been around, but when it right. came to our awareness, like maybe mid-March, um, I was in this space of calm that surprised me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, why am I not worried? Um, it was almost like, ooh, let me rest, right? Because right. when things are going, you're on the road, you're traveling, you got to mm-hmm. do, do, do. And in that moment, I was like, you know what? I don't know what's going on or how it will affect any of my business. I'm just going to rest. Um, and, you know, just taking moments to rest has been a saving grace for me. I had to remind myself probably three weeks ago to take some days off because I was just right. going, 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 going. And I was realizing I don't know, the quality of my thought was just like shifting. I was like, I was, it was taking me longer to write sentences. I'm like, what is going on? I was like, I need a break. I need some time off. Um, and so lately I've been walking and riding my bike. Um, Cause there's something for me about being in nature and being around water that is healing. Um, I've been listening to music, full albums for a long time, up probably through my early thirties. I wouldn't watch TV. I would just be in here listening to music all day. Like, and somehow that just fell off my radar. I just stopped doing it. But lately that's been healing for me. Um, What's the last one you listened to? The last album? Inner Visions. I put it on. um, Classic. 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 It's a classic. You're getting cooler by the minute right now. <laughs> That's, you know, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people uh, talk about uh, songs in the key of life, and it's a great record. Yeah. It's an amazing record, one of the greatest records ever made. But Inner Visions, that is my personal uh, favorite from Steve. And you know, timing. I listen to, I listen on a record player, and I listen to mm. it twice, the whole thing twice, without realizing. Yeah. I was like, this is every single song. It's amazing. That record Every, is amazing. Yeah. Golden Lady. Yes. yes. From top to bottom. And he yeah. speaks about every, or sings yes. about every topic on that yeah. one album. Um, The day before, yeah. maybe a day before or two days before that, I was listening to John Baptiste. Mm-hmm. Um, Stay Human, that album. It's amazing too. Um, and he has the Star Spangled Banner on that. And listening to that in this moment, I'm just like, mm. Mm. Right. <laughs> the, the land of the free child. Right. <laughs> um, so it's just, it's, it's, that has been healing. And I'm so glad that I, you know, made the time to just go back to it. Because one of the mm. things that I know about myself, I don't have um, children, I'm not married, but my work, I can end up working all the time. So it's literally right. mm-hmm. step away. Yeah. Right. So, yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, Allison, thank you so, yeah, so much you. for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, this was so, so good. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, I always I think, think I- like assessment, strategy, philanthropy, data, people are like, mm-hmm. 
what is that? Right. So I'm just, I'm happy to be invited to be in that conversation with you. Absolutely. And one of the reasons why, you know, you're, you, of course you are at the top of the list because of the fact that what we're trying to bring with this podcast, with this show Mm -hmm. is the bridge between arts and industry and how important you have to have if in order to be successful, in my opinion, in order to be successful in this business, you have to be right and left brain. You have to do both. Mm -hmm. If you want to be just the creative and you can, but just trust and believe that there'll be people that will handle the business side for you. Yep. And it may not be the outcome that you want. You have, even if you're not active participant in it, you have to know it. Yeah. You got to be knowledgeable. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be knowledgeable. And I feel like in, in today's day, I do a whole lot of connecting. Like I might not know everything, but chances are because of the work that we do, you know, somebody that knows. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Put people in, Absolutely. in um, contact with each other because we got to yeah. always say we all we got. Like if we're not yeah. helping each other out, what are we doing? CMB, we all we got. Listen, <laughs> listen, it goes back to my dad asking us around the table and I'm like, I'm 12. I don't really know how I'm showing up. But in that yeah. moment, maybe it was cleaning up the neighborhood or whatever. Right. And just and, you know, not to bring it back to evaluation, but recognizing that every part can be something that contributes to the change. It doesn't always look like the big overhaul. It can be the incremental steps. Right. Absolutely. And it's important for artists, particularly those who are interested in either developing their organization further or applying for grants to know that Mm -hmm. and to begin documenting Mm -hmm. that. Because I think a lot of us are so used to the doing and not the, the taking down notes and actually taking the time to like, Oh, I did do that. You know, it's like writing a resume, your documenting process. your process. Right. Exactly. And I, I'm actively working with grant makers to invite them to not require that of the artist, but to say, we know that this is what you need for your board. We also know that you invest in artists to create art. So let them create the art and maybe you hire yeah. other people or people on your staff, get all the things that you say you need for your board because right. let's, let's do what makes sense. Like, Yes. Right. Mm, so. And so some some grant makers have been like, oh, we could do that. Like, right. <laughs> to hire like, you know, someone who can consult the artist, like yeah. someone who just drops in throughout the process yeah. and just, you know, quick little interview, get the information you need and leave that leave that person. Right. Alone. And yeah. I mean, now of course, the artist would, you know, remain mindful of whatever they're doing, so that, sure. but they don't have to put it in a form and send it out. So like, I mean, right. maybe as I'm thinking, maybe that's something that also support, but it, I have watched and heard grant makers say, oh, I guess we could do that. So it's encouraging. Right. <laughs> um, but again, it's another effort to pull, push the needle to reimagine what it actually takes to do this work. Right. So. That's awesome. You're awesome. We appreciate you. Thank Thank you so, so much. Thanks for listening to Artistry, where art meets industry. This podcast has been brought to you by Substantial Art and Music. For more information, please visit www.subartmusic.com. You can also follow us on social media at Subart Music. We'll see you soon, but talk to you soon. Peace.